Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is Housing Wire Senior Mortgage Reporter, Bill Conroy, to discuss what's happening in the secondary market. We've got some great things to talk about, but first, here's a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by First Guarantee Mortgage Corporation. When you work with FGMC, you're more than a customer, you're a partner. From monthly webinars and trainings to our non-QM structure desk, our mortgage mavericks make it easy for you to be successful. We're standing by to confirm eligibility, help calculate bank statements and DTI, and evaluate credit. Reach out today. Maverick Solutions products are available through wholesale and non-delegated delivery. To access our partner resources or to submit a non-QM scenario, visit fgmc.com slash maverick. First Guarantee Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID 2917, 5800 Tennyson Parkway, Suite 450, Plano, Texas, 75024. All right, we are ready to jump in. Bill, welcome back to the podcast. Good morning. Happy Monday. For me, anyway. <laughs> um, let's talk first about your latest article on the emerging ESG market. Maybe you can start by briefly defining what ESG means and, and talk about how big that market currently is. Yeah, well, ESG is uh, just a short term for bonds that are pegged to either environmental, uh, socially uh, redeemable, sustainable, like beneficial, or uh, good governance uh, in terms of you know how how a company is run and structured or how a deal is structured, and the ESG we really are looking at is the the first two the E and the S that's what we've seen starting to emerge in the private label market this well actually last year was uh, the first socially responsible bonds if you will um, issued and then this year they're expecting some of these uh, uh, green or environmentally based bonds to be issued. And and what that means, they're all tied to mortgages and it's how mortgages are either made, who makes them. Um, In other words, the mortgages are serving an underserved market, uh, an underserved borrowers. They they can be packaged in a way that that can be labeled as uh, ESG, or if they're, you know, making some improvements to the homes, uh, whether it's uh, battery walls, solar panels, some energy efficiency improvements. So that's the broad sweep of it. Of course, there's a lot of questions around it, like how real are these, uh, you know, how popular are these? All I can say is that because of what's going on with climate and no matter where you fall on the spectrum of believing or not believing it in the, in the real world of, of money, um, it globally, it's a thing, uh, you know, Bloomberg intelligence, you know, uh, estimates that the, um, current market, global market for ESG will exceed $53 trillion by 225, which is like a third of all uh, projected assets under management. So a lot of it is happening overseas now. Uh, Europe, Australia's got some going on, uh, even in the in their secondary housing markets. It's just starting to hit our shores. Um, and, you know, we can talk a little bit more about what that means and, you know, the concept of greenwashing and how they how that's perceived in the market. But for now, it's something I'm keeping my eye on, whether, you know, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, if, if, if money's moving through the market, you know, we're following it. So 
Yeah, we we have some big players involved. To your point, um, on the on what Bloomberg sees is happening, we also see these deals coming through. So, but as you said, one of the main hurdles to seeing this market grow is the lack of standardization on any of the metrics. You know, what does it mean to fulfill the environmental part, for instance? And and so, you know, you mentioned greenwashing. Talk a little bit about what that what that looks like. What you found in your reporting? Well, I mean, one of the there's a the big players in this market right now um, are the GSEs, actually Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you know, are issuing uh, both in a multifamily and single family. Both of them have gotten into, um, uh, you know, Fannie's the biggest uh, MBS issuer in the green space, actually globally, depending on which reports you want to want to believe, because they just reached, uh, you know, the hundred uh, um billion dollar mark in 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 uh issuance and their single families are already at 600 million uh and it just started like a year i think it was a year and a half ago um they're they're doing something a little different where they basically have the loans they can put them package them together or make them as environmentally friendly like uh, they'll make some improvements on a loan uh solar panels or whether as part of the mortgage package it as a green bond and then uh, issue it in the market um but there's been some questions about how uh, how well those uh, bonds really fit the framework, if you will. Um, like some of the the um, loans they've made or the mortgages they've made, at least on multifamily properties. Some publications have looked at like Grist, which follows this, uh, and found that that really these things are still underperforming in terms of energy efficiency. If you really break them down, that they're not you know, tr- truly green bonds. It might have been the energy improvements made them a little better, but they're still kind of, you know, um, questionable as to whether you can call this a, a, a green uh, mortgage, if you will. Um, so what what's happening in the U.S. versus Europe? Europe has these, in talking to the rating agencies anyway, has these really rigid standards about defining what a green bond is, and you got to check off all these boxes, and it's it's kind of a top-down approach. In the U.S., what's happening um, is it's more of a, you know, player by player or lender by lender approach. Um, although there, there, it's not as uh, uh, eclectic as it seems. You, you still need a framework. They call them frameworks, and you know, you got to define exactly what you're calling a green bond or what you're calling a socially responsible bond. You know what its attributes are and, and so forth. These are you know formalized documents, and then they'll um, you know in, in in many cases, at least in the case of the one lender that's active in social bonds, they'll get those reviewed just like a due diligence firm by a third party that an international party that is accredited to do this and then put their stamp of approval on it. And then what happens after that is okay. You could still say, well, you know, they just made all this up and they just issue what they want anyway. Well, the SEC now has a, a task force looking at this, and the way they at least initially seem to be approaching it, uh, talking to the industry people, is they're not going to mandate what your framework is. They're going to actually see if you're sticking to it, though. So, in other words, if you put out a, a document saying this is how I'm going to issue bonds. And you don't follow it, then you're going to get in trouble with the SEC. As long as you're following it, you're honest and transparent with the investors about why you classify these as green or socially responsible, and you follow that, and and the bonds and the loans you're putting into the loan pool follow that, you're probably going to be okay. And the rating agencies are not really rating you for for whether it's ESG or not. They don't care. They're still rating you on what they used to. 
um, you know, they'll they'll look at ESG as a as kind of a factor to see whether it increases or decreases the um, you know credit enhancements on, on the bond. Um, but the reality is, it's not really affecting bond pricing. Just to call it ESG, that's something that we're going to see in the market. Um, and then I'll jump to who's doing it, right? The reason I got interested in it is MaxX, which is a big digital mortgage exchange, you know, backed by JP Morgan. And JP Morgan is doing a lot in the green space. If you look look at them as a, as a uh, JP Morgan Chase as a lender in general, they're one of the, the big players in this in this uh, investment space. But basically, they said that they've got two uh, ESG programs at MaxX where loans trade through this and get bought by other, you know, from one lender to another. And they said 26% of their loan volume um, in these two, you know, came through these two programs. So they're looking at the pot in November, that was, that's a huge amount. And they're looking at the possibility of some kind of green uh, private label issue in 2022. Uh, We haven't really seen a pure, you know, environmental slash green, um, you know, private label issuance. What we have seen last year is in, in probably off the radar, most people is a non-QM lender called Angel Oak um, did two of them, two, but they were socially uh, social bonds, basically geared toward them serving underserved lenders and they set up a framework. And so a portion of the loans they make um, get pooled and put into these ESG bonds. And they've done, they did two issues, issuances last year and they're gonna continue to do those this year you know, kind of, you know, rotating them with their traditional bond issues. Um, and it's basically until they get enough of a certain kind of bo- uh, loans, mortgages to package them as social bonds. And they're also looking at introducing uh, the end of this year, possibly first quarter, their first true green bond issue, which would be a, a loan where they would, uh, a first loan, first mortgage, where you would actually finance environmental improvements into the home, the idea would be that the environmental improvements would actually lower the debt to income ratio for the borrower and help them qualify for that little more of a loan and, and lower their housing costs over time. Um, that's a snapshot. I'll shut up here because <laughs> I kind of rattled on there, but I wanted to give you what I know about or what I was able to get out of the reporting from it. No, I think that's really interesting. Of course, the, I think the green bonds have gotten more um you know, play or more press than than what Angel Oak is doing with the social bond, with the social aspect, focusing on that. Um, that's really interesting, especially because we have people focused on how do we help, you know, um, people who've traditionally been shut out of the home ownership process, affordable lending, all of that. So very interesting that Angel Oak, who, as you said, they do the, the non-QM loans, has figured out a way to, to uh, thread the needle there. Yeah, and they're and their social bonds were, you know, uh, their framework was certified. They don't certify the bonds. These 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 international organizations will look at your framework and say, yeah, it's legit or it's not. So they have a stamp of approval on their framework. And as long as they follow the framework and the bond and the mortgages that they're uh, originating fit that framework. In in the case of Angel Oak with their social bonds. Arguably, all of their um, loans serve underserved borrowers, right? Because they're that's what non-QM is. They're, they're lending the self-employed who can't get traditional loans, can't get the agency loans. But even within that, there's a cut of, a, a cut of borrowers that you know that fit more strictly to their framework. And so, not every loan they make is going to be a social, even though they might be making self-employed 
you know, for example, they make a lot of loans to, uh, for, for people buying investment properties. Well, those might not fit as well as the loans for the self-employed or maybe the, the ones that need a little bit of a credit bounce because they've had some you know issues in the past where they can't get loans. Um, but they still have to be good loans. Um, and whether they're going to trade um, higher because they're packaged as a social bond or whether they're packaged as a green bond, you know, that's what we'll, we'll, we'll see, what the investor reaction is. But in talking to the rating agencies, there's definitely a lot of interest, a lot of investor interest in this, um, in these green ESG bonds. And I think, you know, it's hard not to say that doesn't have some correlation with, uh, you know, all the emphasis now on climate change. And, um, you know, I, you know, I'm a little bit older, but I, I think a younger class of investors coming up who see, you know, the need and the potential for focus on this. Now, whether that leads to more demand and higher, uh, better pricing uh, or execution on these bonds, that's the, I guess, technically the million dollar question. We'll see. No, it really is. I think it's also interesting. You talked about um, how the regulators are looking at this um, early in our conversation. You're like, you know, as long as you follow your own standards. and But we know the um, Security and Exchange Commission has, uh, you know, created its own task force, Climate and ESG Task Force, in its enforcement division to better police this market. So, you know, it, I you also have to think, they're, they're looking closely and you never know how that's going to end up. So, you know, it's interesting to me that people are still willing to to be the ones testing the waters in that kind of environment. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the, the SEC, I mean, if this got really big, I mean, I don't know that they'd be looking at, the, you know, uh, kind of sample cases because they couldn't police the whole market if it really took off. I don't think unless they really staffed up. But yeah, they are looking. Um, that's the point of the task force to make sure that the the bond or the investors are not getting misled. Uh, that the the lenders or who's ever securitizing these green ESG loans is is not you know selling you snake oil. That uh, you know that they're actually there's a me- method to the madness and they're sticking to their method. And you know investors know what they're getting. Um, it'd be up to the investors to decide how valuable these bonds are um, and whether there's going to be more of them. But there does seem to be reason to watch this again, regardless of whether you think, you know, climate change is real or not. Um, th- this is happening in the market and it's, you know, it's it's kind of like a big wave that's starting to hit our shores. Let's switch a little bit and talk about another one of your articles, which was talking about how the private label market has set a furious pace so far in 2022. Um, So you wrote this on January 18th and talked about, you know, how many new uh, private label securitization deals had you seen at that point? At that point, there were 10, um, you know, it died about like 5.4 billion. Since then, though, I'll be doing a short update. I mean, literally... Two more came through today. There's like another seven. So it's 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 kind of a rush to the door. And actually, I, there's someone quoted in that story from last week who said that it's a rush to the door. Um, and the obvious, you know, thing that's happening is uh, the Fed looking at bumping interest rates as early as March. So um, you know, these deals are still involving a lot of loans from last year when rates are still lower, at least, you know, a lot of them are maybe around 3%. We've seen rates, you know, bump up 
by the end of the year, some saying as high as 4%. Well, that changes all the pricing dynamics on these deals. So I think a lot of them are trying to get the deals through as fast as, as they can. That's the, the idea. But what, we, what we're seeing right now, and the month isn't over, is at least 17 uh, uh, private label securitization deals. And that's what I could find because I track them, uh, you know, various ways. But, uh, you know, I'm still watching and we don't, the month isn't over. I don't know how many there's going to be by the end of the month. And then, how, you know, how is that whole market affected by the FHFA's uh, recent rule change on, you know, increasing upfront fees for high balance and second home loans? Is that, uh, what do you see that, how do you see that affecting this market? Well, that was seen as a positive because um, the, of course, the the FHFA rolled back the um, caps on the um, in, investor loans in September that, you know, those are announced in January and then, you know, the market reacted to that. So you saw a real flurry of uh, investment property, second home backed um, uh, private label deals that otherwise would have went to the agency, but they went to the private market. So the concern was when that uh, uh, cap was suspended, you know, in other words, the GSEs went back to buying these. And also with the uptick in the loan limits that we just saw or just announced that more, more loans would fall under the agency umbrella. Um, but with the loan fee increases, I mean, talking to well, one of the market players, Redwood, said that that kind of offsets the negative effects of the rollback in the investment cap and the higher loan limits. So it's actually going to be a you know a, a positive for the private label market that more that the 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 private label market will be able to price these uh, both the investment and jumbo loans uh, or high balance loans better than the GSEs with these uh, higher loan fees. So they'll be competitive. So we'll see, but you know, we're also seeing tumult in the market already, the, the major correction going on in the, in the stock market. And that's not directly related, but you know, there's so many dynamics and variables that um, it's hard to say what washes back into the RMBS market. And, you know, interest rates, I think are a bigger driver there, but I'm not the expert. I'm just talking to folks. So uh, in the case of uh, Redwood, which is a major market player in the private label market, they see it as a net positive and that's it's going to result more deals for the for the private market in the coming year. You know, one of one of the um, sources that you talked to for uh, for a story exactly on <clears throat> what that what that change mean uh, means said that, you know, what, what the government gives, it can also take away. Right. So um, the fact that they made that change. That's great. You know, should we expect something six to nine months, twelve months from now? What what is your what do your sources say? Well, I, yeah, I mean, politics is is you know made fools of all of us, right? And and predicting it for sure. I think um, based on what I've heard is is there seems to be more of an emphasis in, in the current administration on actually you know putting the GSEs back into. A, the mode of serving the affordable housing market, kind of their primary mission. And, you know, these loan fees give them more resources to do that if they redirect it toward programs. Uh, uh, but but serving the high balanced borrowers doesn't seem to be in their mission. Serving uh, uh, the investment property market doesn't seem to be in their mission. And, and I think right now we're seeing at least some evidence that, that that's what's going to happen over the next three, four years, where however long, you know, the current uh, uh, administration is in and current FHA, F, uh, Federal Housing Finance uh, Agency administration is in, they're going to be focusing more on their core mission, which should open up more space 
for the private label market for these higher balance and, and investment second property loans and non-QM, of course, which isn't even in the agency um, you know, radar. So, but we'll see. Um, it makes sense, you know, and I think this move, this this raising of the loan fees, um, it seems to have been it received really well by uh, lenders in the private label market. So it's a good sign for 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 if 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 you want to see more activity in the private label space, that's it's so far beginning of the year, we got some good signals. Well, especially after it being just, I mean, dead in the water for so for so long with the GSEs and conservatorship, and, you know. Yeah, I mean, the private label market is just, um, it's, I mean, it's still nowhere near what it was like back before the, the big housing crash, what, 15 years ago when it was, if I remember, I was like 50, 60% of the market. Now it's like approaching, trying to approach 5% again. So there's a lot of room to grow. I mean, it could double and still be a fraction of what it was. So I and and I think you know people still are a little uh, you know it's like when you touch the stove and get burnt, you're afraid to you know touch the stove again. And I think there's there's still some of that going on, but we we are starting to see you know a few burners working, and people are starting to you know maybe you know put some more pots back on there and cook some stuff up and. You know, I I think you know in balance. There's a recognition um, that that you need both markets, and you know that, that a complete monopoly by the GSEs is no better than a complete monopoly by the private label market. Right. So they kind of balance each other out, and the, and the private label market can handle some of the loans that really the government, the, the G, really is the GSEs is the government. The government really you got to ask why would they be involved with that? They don't really need to be subsidizing high end loans or, you know, investment property, second home plays, that kind of thing. And I think that's we're starting to see some evidence that that there's some some rationality returning to the market that way, if that makes sense. It's interesting to me because um, under Trump, we saw such a push to, um, you know, the uh, exit conservatorship and. You know that that seems now to be uh, not something anybody's talking about. It's not anybody's radar as far as like that's a that's a priority. But to see how the private label market has been able to uh, come back despite that, right? Despite the fact that they're still in in conservatorship, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and the private label market still has some bugs to work out, um, just growing pains, right? Um, and and I, you know the we wrote about the underwriting shortage and underwriter shortage and so forth. Uh, but all of those, I think, are are so far just in that category of growing pains, figuring it out. Um, and then as as you get better at that, and more efficient, you, the volume grows. There's there's more opportunity, um, you know, for everyone involved. Um, working on some other stories around, you know, that transition a little bit too. And, and it it is a I think in the non bank market, you you are seeing. Um, you know, more of the, at least the larger, uh, like non-banks being more comfortable in the securitization space, um, as opposed to, you know, selling everything to the, you know, to the GSEs. And in the coming years, we move toward purchase loans and away from refis, uh, when that's what happens when rates go up, um, you know, you're going to need more of that, I think, to make, to make the uh, housing market work. You're going to need more, uh, avenues for making these purchase loans happen and the, the liquidity that comes that's needed to make that happen. All great points. Um, I wanted to talk about another story that you wrote. Um, it's been about 10 days now, but um, talking about the MSR market, right? So mortgage servicing rights and the fact that when you look at 2021, one lender really, really dominated and that's Freedom Mortgage. Uh, let's talk about that story a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, there of course there are other lenders involved in the um, in the uh, MSR market. And we looked at you know Ginny May and then overall the agencies, all you know uh, Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny. And yeah, freedom is in terms of balance and in terms of new purchase, in terms of issuance. Um, you know, they they just yeah, they're at the top by by a good margin. Um, you know, and there's other lenders like Penny Mac and Lakeview Loan Servicing, even Wells Fargo is up there, Quicken Loans. There. And the thing with the MSR market is it's a very, well, it is a fluid market. I shouldn't say very fluid, but the positioning can change because you're constantly buying and selling these and working them because there's there's some lenders that are better at working these loans um, than others. So when you buy Ginny May loans, for example, um, there's a higher propensity for for default or or delinquency but there's tools that uh, that that these lenders have where they can buy these loans out uh, if they're delinquent after 90 days and then you know get them to perform again and then either you know repackage them in Gini securities and they make you know they make a profit on the spread so there's ways of working these loans and some lenders think they can work them better than others or they decide you know we want to sell off a block of these to someone else because you know, we're done with them and let someone else work them. They're also a way, at least they were during the refi boom, to to reclaim or recapture uh, loans because a lot of the loans you had that you were servicing would refi and they're on your, you know, you're working with these people already. You got a better chance of capturing the refi. So there's a lot at play, but yeah, for whatever reason, Freedom and Freedom didn't, you know, get back to us with a response as to, you know, what their strategy is or anything, but they clearly were at the top of the pack here. Uh, and when you, when you look at both Ginny, Fannie and Freddie uh, in terms of the mortgage servicing rights that they have either acquired or have on their books or, you know, in the case of Ginny, they're, they're actually issuing uh, a little different market, but they're technically issuing uh, the, the Ginny May um, uh, loans, securitized loans. Uh, it's in, and, and with Ginny May, as we know, Ginny May doesn't buy the loans. They just issue essentially a stamp that, that, uh, will, uh, guarantee the payment to the bondholders. The underlying loans are secured by the agencies that made them, whether it's veterans administration or FHA or what have you. Um, and then the, you know, freedom or whoever it is, the, the lender, the originator is, you know, you know, making the loans and then, um, you know, getting the Ginny May uh, security uh, in exchange uh, uh, for, you know, for the, when the the loans are securitized through Ginny May and then Ginny May securities, right, are bought all over the world. And interestingly, I think uh, one of the persons told me one of the biggest holders is, is, is Hong Kong. So all over, I mean, it's, it, it, that's a whole other world that, that I'd like to explore a little bit, but, and I'm sure there's listeners out there that know a lot more about it than me, but um, you know, that's the MSR world. And we'll take another look at it. We finally figured out how to get access to some of these figures and see if it mixes up or changes a little bit as the year goes ahead. Well, Bill, we so appreciate your reporting on this. I know our readers do. We get great feedback on it because um, you're really covering the markets from the secondary market from all angles. Love having you on. And thank you so much for being on and sharing your insights. No, no problem. And and if I got anything wrong, let me know because I want to be right. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, we love having readers reach out. I mean, that's how you, you know, sources are are one of the most important things that, that you develop. So anybody who wants to reach you, you can be reached at is it W. Conroy or Bill uh, B. Conroy? Yeah, W. Conroy. Um, totally by accident. You know, it's one of those things where your mom gives you the, the formal name, William. <laughs> In your life, you go by Bill, but you can't ever get rid of William once your mom gives you. <laughs>
W. Conroy. So, w. Conroy at is how is how you can be reached. We will uh, continue to look for more coverage coming on all of these issues. Um, thank you so much. And thanks for being on the podcast. All right. Thank you. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.